This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 3. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. Joined today by co-host and producer Matthew Marister. What's up, man? Hey. <laughs> We're back. We are back. Yeah. Folks, today is our news and reviews episode, or more specifically, industry news and gear reviews episode. Do this once a month. Share with you some of the more recent news from around the industry. Uh, this is news that is not legislative by nature. Uh, and these are also not justified safe stories like we cover in some of our other episodes. So these are more general industry news articles we will talk about and discuss. We've got a couple of interesting things to cover today, such as the new Federal 30 Super Carry cartridge that's been recently announced and I guess released, although I don't think it's actually out there yet in the form of, you know, like you can't just show up somewhere and buy it just yet, I don't think. Um but we'll talk about this new cartridge. A lot of talk about it on the interwebs in the last uh, week or so. So pretty interesting stuff there. And uh, yeah, give our take on that. You know, kind of what we think of about it and where it might possibly go. Certainly, this is not the first time new cartridges have been introduced. And I would say out of all those that are introduced, more often than not, they don't really take off. So will this be an exception? I don't know. New pistols from Smith & Wesson, as well as Nighthawk Custom, actually associated with that new cartridge. We're going to talk about a couple of interesting surveys, some interesting results from that, and also uh, a pretty interesting revisit, if you will, of, of something we've talked about before on the podcast, uh, dealing with guns and suicide. I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, so we'll do that here today. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll talk about two products. One will be reviewed by me and one reviewed by Matthew. Today's episode sponsored and brought to you by, and this is still a new sponsor for us. We're excited to have them on board. That is Mountain City Supply. Mountain City Supply, makers of, well, this ammunition right here. All right, I've got a box of, of 9 millimeter. Uh, this is the 124 grain variety right here that I'm holding. Uh, so these guys are local to us, kind of a newer company, but they are really, really growing quickly, and they're working really hard to uh, be a serious player in the market. Uh, they believe in, I think, all the right things, as a good quality company should, uh, they had you know they have amazing people working for them. They got an amazing team, uh, executive staff. Uh, they take care of their customers and and their employees, and they absolutely believe in producing a quality product. Now they offer both remanufactured and new ammunition products uh, that you'll see in their store. Uh, so check them out. Okay, the remanufactured stuff is very, very reasonably priced. Even the new stuff is still very reasonably priced by today's standards. Uh, this is where I am now sourcing my ammunition for my training and shooting needs. So guys, I hope you would check out Mountain City Supply 
mountaincitysupplies.com. That's uh, that's probably the best link to give you to go check them out with mountaincitysupply.com. Now, actually, they they have a physical store in Castle Rock, Colorado. Now, opened about a month or so ago, uh, and and they actually are an FFL and sell guns and you know all the usual products like what you would expect uh, from a from a typical gun store, but they're bigger part of their business in their massive warehouse they have where they produce all the ammunition uh that's 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 how i know them uh and uh, i'm really uh, proud to represent them in their ammunition uh i will say i'll just add in full disclosure and i know that chris and team over there at mountain city supply will, won't have any issue with this uh you know we use and they, they sponsored our guardian conference uh, and, and they're coming back as a sponsor of the 2022 Guardian Conference as well, providing a bunch of ammunition to instructors, but also uh, those students that were attending that that purchased in advance. And we did have a few batches of ammo that were at the conference that had some issues. Okay, and we know that. We learned that. And all of that feedback was passed back to Mountain City Supply. And they've worked tirelessly to fix some of those minor uh, quality control type issues that that uh, they did have. So I, I share that because some of you will go, well, that doesn't sound very good. But here's why it's good. Because they actually cared enough to take all the feedback. They weren't defensive about it. They didn't get upset about it. Uh, they were disappointed to learn that there were some issues with their ammo. But they were open-minded and listen to all the feedback, everything that I shared with them and others shared with them to fix their some of the processes. Uh, and actually, I'll tell you this much, they've completely upgraded some of their machines to deal, to deal, you know, to help alleviate some of, some of the issues that were had. So uh, that I think is a sign of a quality company making quality ammunition. And that's why we are proud to be sponsored by Mountain City Supply. So go to mountaincitysupply.com, pick you up some ammo today. One of the great things is, is they usually have stuff in stock, okay? Now, it might take them a couple of days or so or weeks to even get things shipped out because they have so many orders coming through. But you go on the site, you can order ammunition today, you can pay for it today. You're going to have it in relatively quick order within a couple of weeks at the latest, all right? So... That's huge too. You're not just you're not waiting. You're not trying to get the uh, the in stock you know uh, notification and you know oh did I get there in time and you know, and buy in time you know no just go to their site you'll see they probably have what you're looking for in stock and you can buy it today. Guardian Nation is our second sponsor of today's episode because here's the thing you want to save some money on ammo well Guardian Nation is one of the ways to do that. Guardian Nation members get a special discount with Mountain City Supply. Uh, it is a uh, on select uh, calibers of ammunition. So go to GuardianNation.com to learn more about membership. But that's a great way to get in and save some money on ammo. So in addition to already getting great prices for Mountain City Supply, Guardian Nation member will help you. Guardian Nation membership will help you save more. Guardian Nation membership also gets you discounts off of things like CCW Safe, the T-shirt I'm sporting here today, and other industry discounts. Of course, access to all the great member-only content and training out there. So check out Guardian Nation at GuardianNation.com. Let's get into our first story, uh, Matthew. We have this. Uh, article from a blog called Gun Curious, guncurious.wordpress.com. It's actually written by David y- Yamane. 
who uh, also, unless he rebranded his blog, uh, I was going to say he also runs a blog called Gun Culture 2.0. Um, I think he's, I think this is an additional blog. I wasn't aware of it. So you said, I saw this link and I was like, I saw the author's name and I was like, oh, David Yamane, like Gun, <laughs> Gun uh, Culture 2.0 uh, blog. And I saw this was a, a, a new blog, if you will. So pretty interesting stuff. Uh, he, and, and so you guys know, David Yamane comes from a background of a non-gun owner. And then some number of years ago is like, hmm, kind of curious about guns and gun culture. And he started learning about it, writing about it, studying about uh, gun culture. That's why he named his blog Gun Culture 2.0. And he's become a, a big friend of the Second Amendment and, uh, uh, you know, a big time uh We'll call him a gun nut. I don't know if he'd appreciate being called a gun nut, but you know he's he's part of the community, I guess. Uh, maybe he doesn't feel that way. I don't know, but um, but he does a great job writing about and covering kind of cultural related things uh, associated with gun ownership. This article is titled "Results from the 2021 National Firearms Survey," and it's a it's a summary, if you will, of or a breakdown of. Um, of this survey that was fielded by William English. Now, I believe we actually covered that survey in a previous episode, Matthew, but we're covering it again now from a, a little bit different angle because now this is David Yamane's take on that. And so because of that, I think it just brings out some some interesting, we'll call them bullet points uh, in terms of the data from the survey. So I'm just going to mention a couple of real quick here, kind of the, the big uh you know, obvious ones. And if you want to break a couple things down further, you're welcome to. But uh, some highlights from this National Firearms Survey conducted again in 2021 by uh, by William English, who's a political economist at Georgetown University's McDonald's School of Business. This kind of came out of nowhere. In fact, even David Yamane says as much. He's like, I've never even heard of this guy. I don't know where he came from. Uh, this is a study that seems kind of new and unique and just like, hopefully it's a good sign of other voices coming into this field, studying these things and the takeaway, hopefully being a positive one, at least in terms of the protection of the right of self-defense and, and second amendment. Right. Um, because I think a lot of what is featured in this survey is, is pretty promising information. Some highlights. 32% of American adults own a firearm. All right. Uh, gun owners are demographically diverse. It's pretty interesting. It, it does break it down and talks about, uh, you know, how 40 or 57.8% of gun owners are male and 42.2% are female. That's actually pretty, pretty balanced, actually. Uh, I would say. Uh, 34.3% of whites own firearms. Okay. Um, and then it goes down to 25.4% of blacks own guns, 28.3% of Hispanics and 19.4% of Asians. Right. And even some of those uh, percentages are kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's great. I mean, really you're talking about one in three white people, one in four black people, one in four Hispanics and one in five Asians. All right. I'd love to see that go that those numbers go up, obviously. 30.2% of gun owners have owned an AR-15 style rifle. This one's kind of like, whoa, 
Yeah. That's a big number. Uh, even David says that's some 25 million people have owned, and it doesn't say, you know, currently owned, says has owned an AR-15 rifle. 48% of gun owners have owned 10 plus round magazines. Also significant. 56.2% of gun owners carry a handgun for self-defense. Also pretty significant. Uh, 31.1% of gun owners have used a gun in self-defense. Now, this is the one I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of high to me. Surprising. Like, I know a few gun owners. (laughs) More than a few. I don't know that many people that would say they've used a gun in self-defense. Now, I don't know how this was defined. I know he talks about how there's a certain percentage of these cases where the gun was never even fired, a certain percentage that took place inside the home, uh, a certain percentage outside. And then this is probably where a lot of these come from. 53.9% of these instances occurred outside the home, but on their property. So this would might, this would be kind of like a something's going on outside and you go out with your rifle in hand kind of thing. Now, by the way, not discussing tactics or the validity of tactics in, in any of that, just suggesting that that is probably a, that's probably a common thing that sometimes happens. See, see, I had to wonder, Matthew, about like we had that incident several a number of years ago now, uh, where we had a carjacking suspect go right through my property, being chased by police. Uh, when it came to my attention, I grabbed my gun. I had my gun in hand because uh, he was right outside our door, basically. I mean, he didn't come up to the door that we know of. He didn't knock on it or anything like that. But it was like this was happening right on our property, which is not a large property <laughs> you know, we're on a pretty standard suburban, uh, like 0.21 acre, you know, lot. So to have carjacking suspect come through our property, that's kind of significant. And, uh, police arrested him right in my neighbor's driveway. Right. So I, and I had my gun in my hand. I didn't go out and confront him. I didn't, you know, even exchange words with him, but I was ready, you know? So like, it just kind of made me wonder, where at what point do we, especially when we consider instances where a gun is not fired, uh, what do we consider a gun being used in self defense? Uh, I wouldn't, con- I wouldn't have considered myself have you know having used my gun in self defense. I had it in my hand, um, was ready in case something happened, but nothing happened. You know, at least relative to the security and safety of my family. Um, so now I, I will say there's been one time in my life where I put my hand on my gun, not because something was imminently happening that necessitated the gun being used, but sort of a, I, I should say it's probably been more than one time, but like one time for sure where it was like, Ooh, I don't know about this. And I, I had uh, my hand concealed and just resting on the grip of my gun. Uh, just a precautionary you know, measure, just like, Again, that's not a use, it's, and I didn't draw it, right? But I was surprised when I read that. 31% of gun owners have used a gun in self-defense, including instances where it's not fired. Mm-hmm. That seems high to me. Everything yeah. else, though, I'm like, cool. Yeah, cool. Makes sense. Oh, that's awesome. Great. That one is like, mm, I don't know if I buy that because I'm pretty sure I would know more than a handful of people in my circle of friends that would be like, yes, I've used a gun in self-defense, and that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely how, how uh, 
um, how people are looking at the question, right? And 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 then if you break it down even more, it says of these fifty five point nine have done so more than once. Yeah. So like the, I mean we're you know we don't carry a gun because of the probability of be having to use it because it's probability is very low, right? But to have to use your firearm multiple times in self defense, that that you know is is statistically very small and for so i i imagine it's probably a lot of those situations where hey somebody grabbed a gun they heard something outside their house and and they're counting that as like hey i use my gun in self-defense because if i needed to defend myself i didn't have to but i had my gun for self-defense yeah 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 i don't know interesting things is there was there any other statistics uh amongst those that were listed here that you thought was interesting or worthy yeah. discussing further that that one the 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 uses of self-defense guns used in self-defense and just um in general like if you look at the the push for um, banning of whatever you want to call high capacity magazines and in assault rifles or ar-15s right like um so 56%, uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, 48% of gun owners have owned 10, uh, higher than 10 round capacity magazines. So those would be your high capacity magazines. That's a lot of gun owners, right? And then you have 30% of gun owners have owned an AR-15. And maybe this is like question phrase like that. So the people that are like, oh, I lost my ARs in a bolting accident, <laughs> you know, can, can mm-hmm. answer this truthfully. Um, but um, th- you know, those are, those are pretty high percentages of gun owners. And, and so, yep. uh, while it's high, you know, we also have, if it's only 50% of gun owners cr- roughly have owned high capacity magazines, well, what, what are the other, I mean, are there other, I, I there's not a lot of guns, modern guns, unless you live in California, you can't carry can't get a, a capacity over 10 rounds, but like most mm-hmm. guns are even your micro compacts now are like 12 round, 10, 11, 12 round magazines. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know if these are maybe like hunters. A lot of them are hunters and you know, they're like, eh, I don't even have a gun with a magazine. It's a bold action rifle that I use, or I use a shotgun or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it, there, I don't think that there's a consensus on, Hey, we want gun control. We want to ban ARs. We want to, you know, low capacity magazines. I don't think that most gun owners are going for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Again, uh, I think there's some really eye opening things here. Um, you know, if you consider that 32% of American adults own a firearm, well, that's the better part of a hundred million people. Right. And then you consider that about half of those have owned 10 plus round magazines. That's the better part of 50 million people, certainly 40 million plus. Uh, And as he says here in his article, as gun rights activate activates advocates say (laughs) uh, these are standard capacity magazines for many guns today. Absolutely. Agree with that. And then, you know, we already talked about the uh, 30.2% of gun owners owning AR-15s. Again, a pretty commonly accepted uh, firearm type. So the, the reason this is all relevant is it bodes well for Second Amendment, Amendment cases that go to the federal level. Uh, when we consider, you know, what is considered, you know, common, uh, common use today. And uh, AR-15s are common. 
so-called high-capacity magazines, all right, uh, or as we would simply like to refer to them as standard capacity magazines, are common, right? Uh, so anyway, good stuff here. And appreciate uh, David's uh, breakdown of this. You know, David's been one of those that's like been on my radar for a while. I should probably just have him on the podcast. because <laughs> I appreciate a lot of stuff that he writes. And I think he's an intelligent guy uh, and probably make for a very interesting discussion. We, we better move on, though. First new product or new gun, if you will, uh, product. This is on uh, firearmsnews.com. Matthew, why don't you tell us about the new Smith & Wesson CSX? Yeah, CSX from Smith & Wesson. It's a 9mm. Um, it's a uh, hammer-fired gun, which is uh, a little bit unique, um, kind of in the same um shape a little bit i think uh from what i see a little bit lighter maybe a touch smaller than the shield um but it's hammer fired and it's not polymer um it's an aluminum alloy frame so even though it's an aluminum alloy frame you think it'd be heavier it's a little bit actually lighter um from you know a few ounces lighter from what i've compared between it and the shield um it has, let me pull this up. Uh, it has a 10 plus one capacity and a 12 point plus one capacity magazine comes with the 12 and the 10 round magazine. Um, it ships with, uh, just regular iron sights. It is not, um, optic ready. So it, it, at this point, it doesn't have a accessory rail. Um, obviously, this uh, gun is designed for, you know, the concealed carry market. It has an ambidextrous uh, uh, magazine release. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, and supposedly the trigger has been reworked from the Shield Plus even to make it even a, a, a little bit better, I guess, feeling trigger. Um, I don't know. I haven't shot it. Some say that they, you know, I, I checked out a couple reviews. Some said they liked the trigger. Some said they didn't care for it as much, even though it's a single action trigger. Um, so I don't know, kind of interesting. I know that like when it first got published, you know, it was like leaked out and everyone's like, oh, this is the dumbest thing. Nobody's ever asked for a single action, you know, uh, uh, gun like this. Um we have, you know, our 1911s and stuff or whatever, but, um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Riley? I mean, I, I think that it definitely is going to, uh, get some people. So I, I know some people are like, Oh, I'll, I'll definitely try that. And then others are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I wouldn't go near it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. You know what I think is, I think that some executives at Smith and Wesson, uh, looked at the market and saw that, that uh, companies like SIG with their 938 mm-hmm. and other similar, you know, kind of miniaturized 1911 style nine millimeter or 380 caliber uh, semi-automatics and went, Oh, why don't we have something like that? Well, let's, let's, let's come out with our own version of that. And uh, perhaps we'll uh, steal some of the show. Now I'll say this from, from a, a an article of, I, I can't remember what the source was, but I remember a couple of years ago, there was, I think it might've been associated with USCCA that, you know, they do a survey or something. Um, yeah, that might've been what it was. It might've even been something that Beth Alcazar had done or wrote or something. But anyway, I remember that there was something about like, a, a there was just some data associated with women in shooting and, and they, um, 
you know, basically asked them about a bunch of different guns, you know, that are available to them, asked them which ones they liked the best, uh, which features they liked the best with, within the guns they liked the best, why. And one thing that continued to come up like repeatedly was people, uh, women in particular liked the, liked single action triggers. Yeah, there's always there's always that little bit of a trade-off there that I think that folks are like, well, single action trigger is awesome, but you know, maybe I feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, more of a striker-fired gun that's a little bit heavier, longer traveled, you know, for a trigger, that kind of thing. In the case of a single action trigger like this, we got to use uh, a manual safety of some kind, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, but I think I think like I said, some some big wigs at Smith and Wesson, you know, were like, hey. Uh, Sig looks like they sell a bunch of these. Let's go capitalize on that too. Uh, so it's an interesting take on a kind of an older design. Uh, it's definitely inspired by, like I said, like a Colt Mustang sized, you know, miniaturized 1911 style pistol, but with Smith and Wesson's take and style of doing a grip because you know it very much has kind of that what's come to be known as the classic mmp style uh grip on the rear portion of it and the texture and all that this is a, an aluminum framed pistol uh looks like the grip the rear portion of it's rubberized uh and interchangeable because mm-hmm. it does mention that interchangeable polymer back straps the one thing that Drives me insane with guns like this, Matthew, and designs like this. And I know what all... you're going. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I know. I know, I know you let, know. Let me guess. Okay. The, gr- the grip texture in that like thumb swell area. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Like, like, I know. Look at you have this little bit of grip texture back here, and you yeah. have this huge flat area, yeah. especially right up in here. There's just it's just this big area of nothingness. Why? Why? Because companies like Talon Grips gotta exist, so they're like, "Hey, we'll feed you some. We'll feed you some profits here." Fair point. Talon Grips <laughs> wants to slip them some money. So that, yeah, that I, I could get on board with this. You know, I, I'm not particularly interested in, in you know, owning one or carrying one necessarily. I mean, I guess I could, I would own one and be fine with that. I don't see myself running to the gun store and slapping money down on the table, but, um. But I can get on board with it generally, except for that. Like that just drives me insane. I don't get that at all. Yeah. That to me, that's that's what you end up with when uh, a marketer or a salesperson or somebody that doesn't really shoot gets involved in decision making. Is like this looks cleaner and sleek and cool. Yeah, yeah but you clearly aren't like a shooter. So when you have a small gun like this, you need every advantage you can get in terms of holding onto the gun. So that texture is super important. Anyway. Yep. You were absolutely correct. That was <laughs> what I was going to harp on. Okay. So here's, what's interesting, Matthew is our next story is about the 30 super carry, uh, which was announced just a few days ago from federal uh, this is a, it, it, we, we say 30 caliber. It's actually not. I think it's like 0.317 or something like that. The actual diameter of the cartridge. It's basically 30, a 32 caliber, but this is not uncommon with, with 
cartridges. You know, there's all kinds of cartridges out there where the the number that they give it in terms of a name is actually different than the actual measured diameter of the bullet. Um, so it's actually a little bit bigger than 30 caliber. Um, like I said, it's closer to like a 32, uh, which is why it's probably relevant to compare it more to like a 32 uh, uh, ACP or 32 H&R or even like a 327 Federal Magnum. All right. So what is this bad boy? Well, it is a, uh, a 30 plus caliber cartridge bullet in a, in a, uh, an elongated cartridge case compared to other similar sized cartridges. Like again, the 32 auto would be the most, the nearest thing to compare this thing to, uh, or even a 380. It's got a longer case than a 380. Um, the idea here now I will say it, it does push what would probably be considered a heavy for caliber bullet. All right. You know, they're suggesting bullet weights, in the 100 grain range, all right? Uh, although there were some that were a little bit heavier and some that were a little bit lighter, all right? And so what that gives you is a projectile that moves, let's say, a 100 grain bullet, like the common one here, the 30 Super Carry HST is a 100 grain bullet that is moving at 1,250 feet per second. That's pretty, that's pretty spicy, okay? Now, a lot of people like to talk in terms of energy. You know, that's 347 foot-pounds of energy. Um, energy is really kind of a meaningless number. I shouldn't say it's totally meaningless, but people put way too more or way, way too much faith on a number like, how much energy does this projectile carry? I do think energy translates to things like the size and weight of a bullet relative to its velocity and how far it's likely to penetrate into tissue. Um, but in terms of like measuring stopping power, it's kind of a meaningless number to even refer to. Why? Because with handgun rounds, all that we care about is that it pokes a hole and it pokes a hole, a certain amount of depth, minimum of 12 inches. Now, where traditionally these smaller calibers have suffered, including the 380 auto, is in not consistently penetrating deeply enough. So basically what we've done here with the 30 Super Carry is taken a 380 auto weight of a bullet, okay, because a lot of 380s are in the 95 to 100 grain range. We've taken that basically that weight, so a hundred gram bullet here, and we're just and it's a smaller diameter, which means less resistance to that bullet as it's passing through materials, and we're pushing it faster. So we basically have designed a round here to ensure deep enough penetration for reliable stoppage. Now, reliable stoppage is we got to hit the the important meaty bits of the body where there's high blood flow or central nervous system. And what the FBI has taught us, and I don't want people like to say, well, that's just laboratory stuff and FBI, this FBI, that, and, you know, gel testing gel is not real, real life and stuff like that, but it's just an analog. It's a testing analog. 
that's based on with an associated number that's based on correlated data that we know that certain bullets in the real world based on autopsy and operating room data certain bullets have performed well and we take those bullets and we go hmm how do these do in testing gel 10% ballistic gelatin well, seems like there's a consistent message here. If we can get 12 to 18 inches of penetration in 10% ballistic gelatin, those bullets tend to perform pretty well on the streets. That's all it is. So this is around, it's been specifically engineered to do well in that respect. Okay. To do something that the other smaller, lighter calibers have struggled to do consistently. That's all this is. Now into a, uh, uh, a a package too that also is compact and and in this case we get the added benefit of in even like a P three sixty five sized pistol you're going to get an extra two rounds or so in a magazine. Well, hey, that's cool, right? So now Jared is correct on Facebook saying that energy does translate into recoil. That's true. That's true. Obviously, uh, a round that has more ballistic energy is, I mean, there's an opposite and equal reaction to that in, in the form of recoil going into the gun and into your hand. So that's true. So, I, and what I've heard from, from some folks that have fired this and reading uh, some accounts online and things is that this is a fairly snappy cartridge. Now, snappy is, well, that's, what does that mean exactly? But again, looking at this from a perspective of this is a, this is not far off from a 115 grain 9 millimeter bullet, but going about 150 to 200 feet per second faster, it's going to have a bit of a snappy push. Okay. So this is a cool concept in the fact that we can take a round that apparently, according to testing data from Federal, is going to get us good, consistent, deep enough penetration and hopefully round expansion. Smaller calibers tend to struggle in the in the expansion department. Um, the, the HST is a pretty proven bullet design, uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this perform reasonably well in, in, in the expansion uh, department. But basically what we're doing is here is, is taking a round that we can get deep enough, consistent penetration and hopefully some expansion with that and get it in a smaller diameter of a package, which allows us to fit more in a gun. So that sounds cool in the, well, I can get a really micro compact size gun and still have good capacity and still good, hopefully shooting performance. It's probably going to suck to shoot a little bit. Just, you know, being honest about it. It's probably going to suck a little bit to shoot in a very, very small gun. I suspect it's going to be somewhere between uh, what shooting a 380 auto and a nine millimeter feels like. So that's not a bad thing, you know, cause that, that, that does mean that we can probably get uh, this round into a gun that's similar in size to a nine millimeter and have really good capacity and have maybe a little bit more manageable recoil characteristics. So that's not a bad thing, but it'll pro- I, I'm, I'm, and this is this is matching up with what a few other industry ins- insiders that I know have, have talked a little bit about it behind the scenes. Um, 
it, it's a bit snappier than the 380. So for some people that are like, hey, this would be a perfect uh, round for so-and-so person that doesn't want a super snappy gun, um, but the 380 is maybe a little on the weak side in terms of performance. So this might be the, the right thing for them. Well, it, it might be, but it might not be. It might They might still not like it because it might still be more akin to like shooting a nine. So anyway, yeah. that's uh, some of my initial uh, analysis of it. Well, I mean, what's your thoughts on the 30 super carry? Yeah, clearly I haven't shot the gun. I haven't shot the, the, the cartridge. So I, I, I can't, uh, it, it, you know, your speculation is as good as any out there. Um, and, and I can't add anything in that. I would just say, you know, if, um, and we'll talk about the two guns that came out to support this cartridge, but um, if somebody wants to get more capacity, I, I say go for it. And if you can get that capacity um, without sacrificing, you know, the ballistics of that cartridge, it penetrates deep enough, it expands uh, consistently. Um, and, you know, the, 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 I guess the function of the gun doesn't suffer, right? Like um, it, it's still a reliably cycling gun and the, and the ammunition cycles and, and all this stuff. Um then hey if if you want one of these guns and 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 that that's what you want to do knock yourself out my biggest like i think the biggest hurdle and I, this is probably true for any new cartridge is that like once the industry the industry needs to accept this and start producing this ammunition at a at a high level so you can get the the ammunition at a reasonable price because nobody's going to want to go to a training conference or you know shoot 2000 rounds if you're you know a, a buck around like nobody's mm-hmm. going to be able to do that consistently and so um if that were to happen and other companies jump on board and start producing then maybe the the, the ammunition comes down uh, a reasonable price and and all that but right now you know it's like one of those niche things where it's it'd be cool to have and i'm sure you know it'd be fun to shoot and stuff but i i i couldn't justify like transitioning all my guns to 30 super carry right now yeah i agree i agree uh, a couple you know just for people's fyi uh the guns available for this currently are the smith and wesson mmp shield plus and the shield ez and the nighthawk custom uh uh president and global response pistol uh which that one surprised me by the way i was like oh wow night i did not see Nighthawk Custom being one of the first guns to offer uh, a gun, in, you know, chambered in this new caliber. Um, here is what's interesting, though, Matthew. Coming off of just discussing the new CSX from Smith and Wesson, mm-hmm. was like that gun seems like it was perfectly suited for the <laughs> new cartridge, but yet it somehow missed the boat in this respect. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually surprised by that, like. I, uh, I, I, you know, going back to the CSX, speaking of which, um, you know, this is a fairly compact gun, like, but you know, this would be a cool little package with that new, new cartridge. You get a couple extra rounds, right. You know, yeah, just like you do with the, uh, shield, uh, plus here. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. It stood out to me. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, so talking about the future with this, and, and there's some great comments going on here uh, online in uh, the Facebook and YouTube comments. But 
this, yeah. So I, I think a lot of people are intrigued. A lot of people are perhaps even excited or interested in this new round. Uh, I'm even mildly intrigued. Uh, I don't see myself needing to jump on any particular bandwagon anytime soon. I don't see this as necessarily. It's not that earth shattering enough to me to like completely upend and change, you know, what I carry and use and shoot and stuff. I'll tell you this much. I, I, I think it's unlikely you'll see prices of 30 super carry ammo anywhere even close to nine millimeter ammo yeah. and probably at least as expensive as 380 auto and probably a little bit more right so like this stuff is not going to be cheap to shoot uh so if this becomes like your gun of choice your caliber of choice this is what your what your edc is and stuff well you should probably train with that well probably buying buying ammo to train with that's not going to be very fun so um but as some others have noted in the comments, like, Hey, it's an option. It's great to have options. I don't disagree. I I think it's a great option. I think this is other cartridges have, uh, you know, have been introduced in the past and many have failed. Um, Heck, there was a cartridge back in the early nineties from federal. I think it was just called the nine millimeter federal. And it was intended. It was basically like a nine millimeter Luger, uh, but with a rim on it. So you could drop it in in a revolver chamber hmm. to get nine millimeter ballistics out of a out of a revolver. Uh, the problem was they killed it because they didn't realize somehow in advance that um, there would be older guns that it would blow up <laughs> um, if people didn't understand. You know, because like it was it was short enough it would it would even fit. It wasn't even an issue so much in the, like the thirty eight specials. It was like it would fit in a. Oh man, I can't even remember. This is this is going back. This is old history now too, and it was pretty obscure. But anyway, it it just was. There was all kinds of issues, right? So, um, so like this is cool and all to see. Uh, will it take off? If enough industry gets on board with it, yeah, it'll it'll it, it, it might have a chance. Um, I think the jury is out on this, and for sure. I mean, this is it's not even on the streets yet, right? Neither are the guns. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens, but a lot of people seem to be interested. And here's why I think this could be different. I think it could be different because I think it legitimately solves some challenges that people have wanted to solve. And and I think the market is primed for it. Whereas it maybe is not as primed in years past or as primed when similar sort of things were introduced. Um, But we're at a time where Concealed carry is at an all-time high. Uh, the interest in small, compact carry guns very, very high. Uh, people trying to balance these juxtaposing uh, positions of, you know, stopping so-called stopping power and capacity and size and shootability and concealability and all of that. So, uh, due to that, I think the market is primed for something like this. And I will give it a chance. I, I'm at this point. I'm saying it's a 50-50 chance that this cartridge lasts longer than five years. 50-50 chance. That's my prediction. And, and frankly, I hope I'm. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, wrong in that that the chances are that low for it to succeed. So, 
good good comments from uh, Jared here on Facebook. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, not having time to like go over everything here, but um, appreciate you chiming in. Uh, yeah. Anything else, Matthew? No, no, nothing more. All right. New exciting product from Primary Arms. This is the new RS10 Reflex Red Dot Sight. Throw this up on the screen for those that want to see it. Uh, this is the, like I said, the RS10. Uh, they don't say it outright here on their site, but I've been told by reliable sources that this shares the RMR and Hollow Sun, like the Hollow Sun 507C footprint. Uh, it's got a good look to it. It looks fairly rugged. Uh, it's got side control buttons for up and down brightness. It's got a side loading battery tray, so you don't have to remove it to, re- to change batteries. It uses a 2032 battery, which is good. Uh, it says it's full night vision compatibility. I don't understand you know, that being that big a, an issue, at least for the civilian market, right? But, hey, all right, it's cool, whatever. Um Looks like a decent little optic from Primary Arms. I mean, it's just another player. So uh, options are good. We were just talking about that. Options are are good to have. Uh, here's what I actually think about this. Uh, and it, by the way, it does say it's a three MOA dot. I'd like to see them come out with some different MOA options for dots. Uh, people that know me well know that I'm a fan of bigger dots. Um, but... Uh, Decent looking little optic, and what I think here is it's actually just a a refreshed version of a Hollow Sun 507C. A little bit different window shape size, a little bit different frame, you know, around the window. Um, but like the button locations, the battery tray location, even the like general shape of the bottom part of the optic all looks very Hollow Sun like. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Primary Arms is known for for working with Hall Sun on on other projects like their uh, famous ACSS reticle that's in some of Hall's or that's Hall Sun's used that reticle in a couple of their optics and uh, that's a popular reticle in uh, some of Primary Arms uh, uh, scopes. So, um, yeah, there you go, Primary Arms RS10. I'm guessing the price on this. Uh, will probably be very competitive, perhaps even it wouldn't surprise me to see this just below the price of a Holosun 507C. And the reason why a little bit less, because the Holosun has solar power, uh, has solar cells on the top of it. And this one does not. So that probably makes it a little bit uh, less expensive to produce and a little bit more uh, economical for someone to buy. So we don't know what the price is exactly going to be yet, though. Yeah. And I think this had, I couldn't see, but I think it has like the same shake awake and all that, that the, that the hollow suns have. And so, yeah, it'll be, be a good, good optic. I think. Cool. So we just wanted to let you know, new, uh, you know, and there's new things popping up all the time. uh, But this one I thought was somewhat noteworthy. Yeah, Matthew, you uh, you covered this story. It's uh, published on our site, actually. Survey numbers not good for gun control zealots. So uh, why don't you break this down for us? Tell us what's going on here. Yeah, so this is a uh, a survey that was conducted by the Trafalgar Group, and this was just uh, conducted in December, uh, this last December, uh, over a period of I think a couple of days. Um, 
the 17th through the 21st. So it's, it's really fresh. Um, now I'll, I'll do a, I always like to caveat, put a caveat on any sort of survey numbers, even if they're good, like, you know, we're, we're represent a positive, uh, uh, you know, projection or, or lens onto a topic, uh, like gun, you know, gun rights and stuff. Um, but you know, surveys can be twisted and all, you know, it depends on who's telling you the, 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 the numbers and how they present it. But, um, there are uh, 1,076 respondents in this survey. And the only question asked was, was, was this, do you believe that the strict gun laws in most major cities are making the current retail crime surge better or worse? Now, you know, some, some news, you know, uh, outlets have like kind of reported this as like, uh, you know, this is like a encompassing question about, do you think gun control laws work? And I, I would say that might be part of it, but this is pretty narrowly, you know, focused on um, uh, the current retail crime surge. Now, I, I would say that if you just looked at that and said, oh, retail crime, that's shoplifting, right? That's not, not, not a violent crime. But if you see what's been going on, and I'm sure most of the listeners know, if you watch the news that, it's it's more than just you know going in and and, and stealing a, a you know a case of beer and running out right. These are organized crime rings. There's cops that have been killed and injured, and security guards and people get. I mean, it is it's more than just stealing a couple items off the shelf and running off. But so here's I'll give you the quick overview, and then Riley, you can dig in. Um, it breaks it down between Democratic voters, Republican voters, non-party, or other voters. And um, as far as Democratic voters go, okay, 30% believe existing gun laws improve the problem. 30%. The percentage of Democrats that think guns do not affect the situation at all are 53.8, so almost 54, and 16% of Democrats actually think the gun laws make this problem worse. So this is, I mean, that's huge, right? That's like, uh, what, 50, 60, almost 70% of Democrats believe that the strict gun laws are not helping the situation. Um, and some actually think it's making it worse. And Republicans fare out pretty, if, if you flip it around, just as you suspect, uh, you know, it, this, the numbers flip around. And then non-party or other uh, non-affiliated voters, 9.8% um, of voters believe gun laws improve the situation. 39 say the gun laws make it worse. And 50 say they have no effect. So overall, uh, it is it's it's crazy. So, forty seven percent. If you if you add all these groups together, right? And this is the thousand seventy four, I believe, respondents. Forty seven percent think there's no difference. The gun laws do absolutely nothing uh, to to you know uh, affect this crime, good or bad. Thirty seven percent think it makes make think the gun laws make it worse, and only fifteen point six percent think that the gun laws make this situation better. So um, at least on this situation, I mean, you could ask a different question in a different way and get a completely different result. But at least on this question, it is unequivocal that it doesn't matter what party you, 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 you know, have after your name or you affiliate with, you 
don't think that the strict gun laws are doing anything to help this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, makes sense, right? That's what we've, we've been saying and everybody kind of agrees and we're preaching to the choir, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have much more to add. Um, I'm not particularly surprised, but I mean, it's this type of survey, by the way, that it just provides me fuel, if you will, to in in my own argument against uh, those that say, you know, like 90% of, uh, of Americans or gun owners or whatever, you know, I don't know what it is that they always say. There, there's always like, you've heard this from politicians in Washington, D.C., both in the, on the Democratic and Republican side. They're like 90% of Americans think universal background checks are a good idea. And you know, then you have a survey like this, and, and where only seven point three percent of Republicans think the current gun laws make the problem better. Um, that I would ex- I would extrapolate that to also mean that more gun laws is not is not going to make things, or that yeah, like it's not going to really change any change much there, right? Um, even again in the amongst the independents, if you will, um, only 9.8% of those people believe gun laws improve the situation. I just don't buy that these other statistics that people like to throw out sometimes like, you know, make, make, trying to make this case that an overwhelming majority of Americans are aligned on any sort of gun law proposition. I just, I just don't buy it. But anyway, that was what I took away from that. As I saw that, I was like, yeah, that, that just, just reaffirms my belief that we're pretty divided on anything gun policy wise, um, on, on the extreme edges for sure. So anyway, Hey, uh, a quick story from, uh, CMMG, the makers of relatively new makers. This only came out like a month or two ago of the new CMMG 5.7 AR, uh, uh, rifle. Uh, this is one of the first new commercial offerings in the 5.7 by 28 millimeter cartridge. Um, and it's an AR style platform gun, uh, and you know, they just came out, but already, unfortunately, CMMG is announcing a magazine exchange, not calling it a recall per se. Basically the original magazines sounds like they're not doing a very good job of holding the rounds or keeping the rounds in the magazine that, uh, they've had incidences of, of, uh, people, um, having the, the rounds just shoot, shoot out the top of the mag. Uh, the original offerings were a 10 round magazine and a 40 round magazine. They have a new magazine design, which supposedly fixes the problem. The unfortunate news about this is that the new, <laughs> I'm sure this doesn't make some people happy because I'm sure some people were thrilled to have a 40 round 5.7 millimeter <laughs> cartridge in an AR gun. And the new magazines are only available in 10 round and 32 round capacities. So sorry about that. Anyway, uh, let's go now to our final story. Uh, there's kind of two stories here, but Matthew, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one as well. But uh, really what this is, is not even so much an article as this is a link directly to a website uh, at convergencepolicy.org. Um, 
And what this is, is it's a, it's a project that's been, and they refer to it as a year long convergence dialogue. Uh, this organization got together and I'll say this much. There's a couple of people involved in this that I, that I know personally, even. Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. Okay. And just who are some of those people? Um, Chris Chang, winner of uh, season four, top shot. Uh, we, we know Chris, he's been on the podcast before. Um, Mike Sudini, founder of walk the talk America. He's, he's on the board of this, uh, convergence dialogue. Uh, Rob Pincus is there. And then some other names that, that I know and I, or people I know of such as, uh, Br- Bill Brassard from the NSSF and, uh, a couple others. There's actually a doctor on this. that's from the university of Colorado. Um, just, just, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from where I'm at right now. So, um, what this was was a project, if you will, to bring together a, a wide variety of voices, backgrounds, people, individuals, industries even, and have the conversation, if you will, about guns and suicide and do it in a non, uh, or really as they describe it, a cross-sector, cross-partisan way, okay, um, and in a non-stigmatizing way, okay. And I, I applaud the, the the desired end goal of this to as far as destigmatizing mental health, but also destigmatizing gun ownership. I think these are two very important things. And seeing where people can agree on the subject of suicide prevention and also gun ownership, kind of the crossroads of that, if you will. I mean, the one thing we know right, is that many of the many firearm deaths in America each year, a big chunk of those are suicides. And we know that out of suicides, um, many of those are committed with guns, all right? People that use guns in suicide, they are usually able to take their life you know, it says here 83, 90% of the time. I mean, that's not a surprise to anybody, right? Uh, because it's a pretty final answer, particularly if you are committed to it, right? So, um, <clears throat> whereas some other options, um, well, I, I would say as much. Someone's going to go to a gun that has already pretty much committed themselves. People often choose other solutions, if you will. Uh, it's probably not the right word, but people will often choose other options for suicide or methods um, that maybe are not as um, violent. You know, I think that tends to sometimes be more of a call for help. I mean, anytime someone is having suicidal thoughts or ide- ideation, it's always a call for help in some form or fashion. Um, some people though, hide this and bury it down deep. And next thing you know, you wake up to news that they're gone and you know, they just, they just did, they just did the thing. Right. Whereas others might make an attempt. Um, maybe they try to overdose on, on a prescription drug or something and, and, you know, hopefully we can get some, them some help. And sometimes there's multiple attempts. Uh, those are very obvious calls, calls for help, but, you know, I've been involved a little bit in 
in my local community and also in church with the discussion of suicides and suicide prevention. And I recognize that it is a real problem. And it's a problem that is not going away anytime soon. And if anything is getting worse, I would say with COVID-19 has gotten worse. And uh, it's a conversation we need to have. And it's one we need to have openly and honestly and in a compassionate manner. And we need to, and, and I'll say this much, I, I haven't dived super deep into this convergencepolicy.org site, Matthew, but from what I have skimmed across and reviewed, and I've read more deeply certain parts of it, uh, I, I applaud their efforts and I applaud their work because it seems very fair and direct. And as we talked about, non-stigmatizing. Um, yeah both in terms of the suit, the mental health aspect and the gun ownership aspect. And that's super, super important. We want people to get the help they need. We want people to um, not be afraid to seek help because they're afraid of having their rights and freedoms trampled upon. Uh, And so this, but this is a tricky, this this is, it's a tricky intersection. Yeah. One that is tough to navigate, and I know a lot of people that struggle with it. But we need to, we need to, we need to come at it head on, and and, and have these conversations. That's why we're doing it here today on the podcast. Yeah, and, and I know we're kind of running, you know, late, and and we've talked about this before. But I, there's a couple of just I, I just wanted to throw out a couple things as reminders to to people who are listening is that um, around sixty around sixty percent of gun deaths in a given year are suicide related. So when we're, when we hear that word, that, that all these numbers that are thrown out, you know, you know, gun violence and gun violence, and they lump in suicides. A lot of times as gun owners, we we say, well, we'll we'll separate those out. And and I think that's, that's in a way appropriate, right? Because, you know, suicide is not typically, sure, there's suicide, homicide cases of that happening, but many of these are just self-inflicted. So we're not talking about, you know, drive-by suicides. We're talking about drive-by shootings. But at the same time, as gun owners, we can't just throw those, that, that you know, huge number of gun uh, of deaths to the side and say, well, it doesn't matter because they do. I, you know, I've had, uh, Several friends, close friends who have committed suicide. I had a, a family member who committed suicide with firearms. And, um, and I, I, I you know, it, it is a very real thing and there is a lot of stigma to it. And I think what I liked about this uh, initiative or the way they at- attacked this problem was they didn't look at it from the standpoint of what type of um, legislation can we do to stop uh, you know, suicide, because we know that this, the, the problem with suicide is not a lack of laws. The problem with suicide is a mental health issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a, it's a, uh, life, you know, the, the quality of life, you know, that's why we have high, you know, uh, a, a drug addiction and, and suicide and, and depression. That is not, going to be fixed through legislation and whenever we start talking about legislation when it has to do with guns gun owners we naturally have this reflexive action to say nope i'm out of the conversation because i'm not giving up any more gun rights 
And I, I liked it. You know, they took people from different sides, different points of view, different experiences and said, we're not interested in coming up with, you know, a, a house bill, whatever it is to, to, to fix this. And what, but what can we do as influencers and, and, and in our own respects to, uh, to bring more awareness and to help this situation. And, and, um, I think that that's, that's fantastic. So, um, yeah, yeah man. Cool. I appreciate your thoughts on that. And uh, folks, uh, if, of course, you can see all the links to stories and websites we referenced in today's episode in the show notes. I would encourage you to go review this. It's reports.convergencepolicy.org. There's a lot of good stuff there. And I, again, I'd encourage you to go review it and have conversations with your your friends, your family, your church, your community, and others uh, in your circle and those you care about, about the uh, subject of mental health. Um, and, uh, and and be frank and open and willing to uh, uh, to d- discuss those things and not be afraid of. I think the work that these folks are trying to do is is again applaudable because of trying to find solutions and help resources uh, without coming at it from the angle of we need to pass X Y Z law to restrict gun rights further. Yeah. One, the final thing here that's related to that on Amalan.com is an article. You guys go check this out. But uh, Sturm, uh, Ruger and company donated $25,000 to Walk the Talk America uh, just recently here. And so uh, that's that's wonderful. It's marvelous. I think the work that Michael Sodini and Walk the Talk America is doing is, uh, I mean, it's right up this alley of mental health and guns. Um, and Mike's a great man and is, is uh, doing good work. And of course he's been on the podcast before and uh, we respect him and uh, congrats to his organization and Sturm and Ruger and company for uh, their pledge of support to that, that uh, to the work that walk to talk America is doing. So awesome stuff. Uh, so yeah, we are kind of running out of time. So a uh, quick review from, from me, uh, I'm reviewing the Decibels Pro Pack. Uh, these actually went in our Guardian Nation members uh, box back in November, and uh, uh, these are these are awesome. Um, it was actually my idea to uh, contact Decibels and see if they would come on board for for doing the Guardian Nation member quarterly box. Uh, local based company to us here in Colorado. Uh, these allow you to make custom formed earplugs right in the comfort of your own home. Then and they're not terribly expensive. I think the pro packs like 40 bucks. Um, and so you basically take this in, in the case of mine, mine are colored orange. Uh, you take, so you take this orange material uh, and you drop this in a boiling cup of water, uh, use ceramic mugs and so you would take both your pieces, drop them in for five minutes in the boiling water. You pull them out, let them cool off a little bit, like 30 seconds. And then you just stick these in your ear and you press them in and, and make sure they fill all the voids in the, was it called the concha or con, con, yeah, concha of your ear. And so then you end up with a custom fit, custom molded ear plug that, you know, gives you a little bit better actual ear protection because they fit better than something you buy just from the store and they're comfortable. You can wear them all day. They don't put like pressure and stuff. Uh, you know, like some of the foam plugs, you, 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 you shape them, you form, you stick them in your ear and then they go 
and you can kind of over time feel <laughs> that pressure. Yeah. Uh, so these are these are really great. So super uh, proud to also be dealers now of decibels on the concealedcarry.com site. So you can go to concealedcarry.com and uh, go to the uh, hearing protection uh, category of our store and find the decibels pro pack. Again, very reasonably priced, super awesome product. I actually wear these now, uh, for, especially when I'm doubling up on ear pro. I'll put these in and put my over the ear ear protection on as well. Uh, especially important when I'm shooting on an indoor range. So cool. Simple review. I mean, I, I have nothing more to add than that. <laughs> Comfortable, affordable, customizable, awesome product. Cool. Cool. Well, I'll go quickly uh, because I'm actually working on a written review for this, but um, it's, it's actually two products uh, of clothing from a company called Varda Clothing. You might have seen it. it's kind of new company. I just uh, found out about them recently. It's V-A-R-D-A and their website is VardaConcealedCarry.com. Um, I, if you type in Varda Clothing, it's some women's clothing lines. It's probably not the same one. Um, this has to do with concealed carry. So this, uh, I'm, I'm doing a couple reviews. One is a, a, like a polo shirt, as you can see here. But the idea with a polo shirt is that uh, for for those folks who like to wear an undergarment, uh, undershirt under their their uh, their you know, polo shirt to as a barrier in between the gun and their body, this has like an undershirt built into the shirt on the lower half of the shirt. And so I, I can't really show it to you here on, on the, on the screen, but uh, if I can, if I can describe it as just a, a, a regular polo shirt uh, with a, with a undershirt, uh, the bottom half of an undershirt sewn into the inside of the shirt. And uh, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm surprised at first I was skeptical about the idea. Um, I'm actually looking at it for a, as an option for a church security team. Cause it's a little bit more dressier shirt and uh, can help guys who uh, might not, you know, uh, know how to conceal their gun as well or whatnot. And it helps it. De it definitely is a nice shirt. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more pros and cons of that. And they also have this, uh, a pair of sweatpants, which I haven't tried out yet, but it's a pair of sweatpants basically with, uh, inside lining of a, uh, of belt loops that you can run a standard, uh, belt through, and then you can attach your traditional, you know, Kydex inside the waistband holster to that. And you have a more, uh, you know, a, a way to carry in sweatpants with a more, um, sturdy, you know, belt style, but the belt isn't up against your skin. Um, like I said, I haven't tried it out yet. Look, the, the materials uh, look great. The, the construction of the, of the products, the, the, the clothing is really high end stuff. It looks nice. Um, and I'm just excited to, to see it. And then once I get it all worked up, I'll give you the, the full review and you'll see the, I'll model it and everything for you on the video or something. Maybe <laughs> I checked out a shirt of, from them that uh, Jacob has. And, uh, I, of course, you'll you'll do the greater in detail review, but uh, um, I kind of felt like that seam across the middle where the two layers intersect. I was like, yeah, I mean, like, I, it's not ideal. It's a pattern there would be nice, right? It's like noticeable. Sort of, yeah, like yeah. A, a, a striped pattern shirt would be great, and blend that seam. I mean, in my own. it's not an unheard of thing to have like certain shirts out there that that kind of have some weird little seam feature in the middle of a shirt there but uh uh but i've seen shirts that have like a stripe across mm -hmm. you know uh, i think or even i don't know like i just i wonder if there's another way to approach that 
Yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I did wear it a couple days. Uh, I wore it one day to church. Um, and I didn't tell anybody like on the security team or anything or any, any mm-hmm. of my friends. And then afterwards I t- I said, Hey, I'm trying out this new shirt. What do you think about it? And they said, Oh, it looks a great shirt. I was going to tell you that looks like a great, sh- real nice shirt. And, you know, I said, mm-hmm. well, I'm doing a review and I explained them and I said, there's a seam right here. And none of them, not one of them said that they recognize this, the seam or they notice mm-hmm. the seam. So either they are very unobservant people, <laughs> um, train your security team <laughs> <laughs> or, um, you know, it just wasn't something that stood out and, you know, kind of like, you know, you think yeah. that you're printing all the time. So it could be a mixture cool. of both. Um, but yeah, right on. Appreciate it, man. Good stuff. So finally, before we let you go, uh, our weekly prize giveaway winner, we are giving away today, uh, palm pepper spray units. We got one lucky winner of that to announce next week. We're going to give away a Pitbull tactical universal mag pouch. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of cool. All right. So drum roll for today's winner, the pepper spray. (laughs) Who we got, Matthew? Miss Pam, Pam D, you won the pepper spray. Congratulations. Pam D. Like Pam spray. Yeah. Pepper spray. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Good stuff, Pam. Congrats on winning the Palm Pepper Spray. That's a great little unit. It's what I carry with me. So I hope you enjoy that very much. Well, folks, that brings us to a conclusion of yet another episode. Matthew, thank you so much for doing this with me today, brother. Thank you, you, sir. You got to get going. So I I appreciate your patience uh, getting through everything. And uh, so, yeah, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs>